Hello and welcome to The Orchard Podcast with Amy Hughes and Rachel Hughes. The episode you're about to hear is part of our Jesus Meets series. It was recorded live at Focus and we're joined by author and communicator Joe Saxton. Okay, so, so we are in episode six. Um, so if you open your Bibles, we're going to go to Mark 5. I'm going to read it um, and then we've got some questions for Joe, And she's going to explain the whole thing, basically. <laughs> Okay, Mark 5, verse 21. It says, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered round him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better and had actually grown worse. She heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched her cloak, his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately, aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. It's quite an amazing passage, isn't it? Every time I read it, I get feel really emotional. But, um, but we are going to pick out these three questions. We're simply going to ask, what do we know about the woman? What do we learn about the woman? What does this say about Jesus? And then how, what do we learn um, going forward from this point? And, um, and I was even just saying to these guys, you know, at this point, Jesus has done so many healings. You know, he's healing people all over the place, yet he he points out this one. This one is recorded. And so there is great significance about this particular healing, about what Jesus wants to speak to us, wants to communicate about his will and his way to us now. Um, and obviously this is a you know, Mark and Sandwich. We've got the Jairus daughter story going on. But for this particular episode, for this particular moment, we're just going to home in on this interaction with this woman. Um, and so firstly then, Joe. What do we learn about the woman? What do we know about her? Um, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is that she's desperate. That this is a woman who is at the end of the end of herself. Um, She has a chronic condition. And and as such, in the culture of the day, and and many of us will know this already, that she would have been deemed unclean. Um, And and where women would have been deemed unclean culturally because of their cycle or whatever, this is a whole other level. And so because she's deemed unclean, not only is she an outsider, she's an outcast, which means rejection is her way of life. Isolation is her way of life. 
Less than is her way of life. Lonely is her way of life. And so, um, so her life has become a lot smaller. You know, this is a collective culture. And when I say collective, I mean that community is their way. This isn't Western individualism. You find your sense of identity and purpose and belonging in the context of the group. She has none of that and won't have had any of that for over a decade. Um, and people will know. People will know by how she is, how she functions, who she used to be. She's a shadow of her former self now because of this. Um, what we see from the text as well is that she spent all her money on this um, and tried. And with every, I don't, I don't know how many, I mean, there may be a number of us who have had chronic conditions or situations where we've gone back again and again looking for answers. Something that will fix this. Something that will change this. Something that will give some hope on this. And she has bled out her entire existence. And again, that leaves her financially vulnerable. And um, when you're financially vulnerable, that leaves you vulnerable to certain situations and predators in all kinds of ways. So she's desperate, she's um, vulnerable. And I don't know whether her desperation makes her defiant. I mean, I can't, I'm a fan of desperation um, for all kinds of reasons we'll get to later. But, but her, she has nothing else to lose. I mean, she's lost her community, she's lost her money, she's lost any sense of communal dignity that she'd have been given. When, when we say Jesus is her only hope, it's not a song. It's her life at this point. And so what we know about her is that where else does she go? And yet, in the middle of the desperation, there is a sense... I guess I would say there's a sense of shame as well, because it's not like she goes to ask Jesus... It's not that she says, could you help me? You know, you have blind Bartimaeus, you shout, shouts, you have other people who come up, send a friend, that kind of thing. Um, with her, she's still trying to do it as um, on the down low as possible. She's still trying to um, not be seen, it not be known she's there. Because again, in her community, she's an outcast. She has no right to be there. She, has, she does not have permission to be there. And so in her way... She, the best she can do is say, if I can just go for the edge of the garment, which is the bit that's on the ground, do you know what I mean? Jesus is up there. She'll just get the dust. Um, then maybe that's enough. So I think there's a lot of courage in her desperation as well. Yeah. And also, she's breaking the rules. Like oh, that, yeah. that, it struck me again that, that this encounter is highlighted. And yet, it's not just Jesus that she touches. She will have brushed up yeah. against loads of other people in the crowd. And in theory, she then makes them unclean. So yeah. she's, she's like majorly breaking yeah. the rules here. And again, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus almost isn't, he's not bothered yeah. by the fact that she's breaking the social rules. And I'm just thinking about what Rachel was Rachel Gardner was speaking about in the main session last night that 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 that, that G, it feels like Jesus is constantly challenging us around yeah. that, isn't it? That so often my, my kids have this phrase, um, a Karen. Sorry if you're called Karen. Do, do you know that phrase? It's like a bit of a job's worth, and they they, they accuse me of being a Karen all the time. Like, oh, you're such a Karen, mom. Um, and I I think. Yeah, it's slightly relevant. But the sense that I think as Christians, we almost get over-obsessed with the rules. Yeah. And sometimes Jesus is like, you're fixated on the wrong thing. And I don't mean we ignore sin or the effect of sin. I'm not talking about that, but I think it's, it's, maybe it's religiosity is what mm. I'm talking about. And again, Jesus just like, he just smashes through it, doesn't he? In order to get to the person. Yeah, it's like he's absolutely not interested. So, I mean, Jesus does not care. 
about the social conventions. And, and I think it's just a reminder that, I mean, for, for her to break all those social conventions does speak to her desperation, um, that she's willing to risk other people being unclean. Yeah. But again, she's already at the end of the end and already the worst of the worst. But I think it's one of those things that reminds us that how, how we kind of sprinkle spirituality on things that Jesus has never really cared about. Do you know what I mean? It's like that, that um, he's never cared about the length of your skirt defining your value. He, he really hasn't. We might have cared. We might have made some spiritual judgments about someone because they believe in a miniskirt or because they expose their midriff or have piercings and things, all of which I'm a huge fan of. And if I had known what my body would do, I would wear them a lot more back in the day. Just saying. Fine. I don't know how that came out. That's a morning thing. <laughs> I, I just want to say it's not, it's not too late. I and think embrace the miniskirt. Yeah, I know. I just, it's, now it's just a little uncomfortable. And that. But anyway, that's a digression from this wonderful text. <laughs> but I think, again, it's that, it's that battle with... It's, it's amazing what she has to get past to get yeah. to Jesus. I think yeah. that's what it tells me about yeah. her. She has to get, get past a lot. She has to get past the things in her mind, the conventions of the day, the expectations of others, the social pressures of others, the social pressures on herself, just to get to the edge of him. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's just a real powerful thing. Yeah. I was actually even just going back to the... Because obviously, she, like you were saying, that if she, who she touches makes who she touches unclean. Yeah. But do you think... Um, you might have already alluded to this, but even the idea that there's a, a deep respect for Jesus already, that he, she only touches the garment and not his body, um, that actually there's a sense in which I know that if I touch... I don't want to make Jesus unclean. Even that sense of respect for him already, yeah. maybe... Um, I mean, I think there must be... Just the fact that she's willing to approach him, yeah. I think, would show how much she values and stuff. And clearly she's heard about him. Yeah. You know, that she's heard about what he does and, and the kind of miracle worker he is, that he's not like anybody else. Like, the rumours are out there. Yeah. And, and so the fact that she's willing to even go there... And, and, and I mean, again, what faith, what sense of... Again, desperation, stroke confidence, that she'll think that just touching the hedge of his garment will be enough. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not sure I'd be like, oh, Jesus, yeah, just yeah. give me the back of your shoes. No. No, I need words. <laughs> I need time <laughs> and all these things. But for her to think, you know, just a little bit, um, you don't have to make a big deal of it, yeah. that, that'll do. That'll do for yeah, me. It's amazing. And I think as well, for me, what's, what struck me in her, her boldness to approach Jesus, mm-hmm. and, yet, um, and yet it says... When he sort of says, um, who, who touched me? It says she, she comes forward like with fear and trembling. Yeah. And again, what spoke to me is that, uh, I guess, the, the, co- the contrast that we have, the juxtaposition of, of approaching Jesus with like absolute confidence mm-hmm. and open. You know, he wants us to come to him yeah. with total honesty, total vulnerability. We don't need to dress anything up. We mm-hmm. don't. And that's a lot of what we've talked about in this podcast that. His, his acceptance of people as they are in their mess, and yet he also elicits fear and trembling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the friendship and the fear, isn't it? It's that constant, you are so other, you are God, you are Messiah, and yet you're saying, come really close in all your mess. And I think there's a social accountability there as well, because there is this wonder, because she's healed in that moment, yeah. but there is also the, the game's up. She can't do this in secret anymore. Yeah. And, and how many times... This woman has been to multiple doctors, and she's left still unclean. She's tried every solution, and she's left still the outcast. 
if this is her last hope and he's like, who did it? And it comes to light, then, then all, the, all the things that she had to get past to get there get publicly revealed. Then everybody's like, so you did touch me. Yeah. And now you have made me unclean. She is, a, she is the rejectable, she's an untouchable. Yeah. And now it becomes public that an untouchable's there. What, I mean, how much worse is this gonna get in that kind of thing? But, but also there's this miracle in the waiting that, that needs to be told. Yeah, we. Yeah, no, go. You go, friend. No, all I was going to say is, oh, I, even reading this, what I love is that she has the faith, like you're saying, the desperation that she's going to be physically healed, mm-hmm. um, and she knows that that's possible. But it's like the 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 restoration of her soul, yeah. the peace, the the liberation that's so much deeper. That's like a bonus to her. She didn't even know that was coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's. I mean, it's 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 incredible. I mean, in in terms of. She's lost everything. Yeah. And actually, in Jesus doing the public thing, he's yeah. restoring not exactly. everything. Exactly. Every, you know, everything that's been taken yeah. is being restored in that moment. That's right, because he, he gives her honor and value, yeah. which within her community will have huge implications, won't it? Because actually, we don't know necessarily. Does she get embraced by her community after this? You know, because as you said, it's suddenly, suddenly everyone's aware, you were in the crowd, like I touched you. Actually, it, it may be that she's not sort of fully embraced yeah. back into the community, and yet because of what she's experienced, that, that's enough. You know, that, that's enough. And there's a public declaration, isn't there, that Jesus validates her faith yeah. and validates her yeah. body yeah. and validates her journey. Do you know what I mean? In terms of he validates... He, he, and, and validates her sense of belonging, that he calls her daughter, yeah. that she's part of the community again. That she's part, she, she's, she's a worthy woman and she belongs again, yeah. is a huge thing. And then says that your faith has healed you, to say that your connection, your connection with God, because untouchables in that, in that context were like, you know, when someone was sick, it's like, did you sin? Did your family sin? Who did the sin? Because you got the mess. Yeah. And there must be something wrong with you. And so that Jesus, um, he, that he validates and publicly in front of the crowd says, one, you're a daughter, you belong here. Two, your faith is awesome. You know, your connection with God has been this source of transformation, yeah. um, is, is a restorative thing. And then say, be free from your suffering. I see what you've been through. Um, and, and there may have been those who are freaked out by it, but, that is, but knowing that Jesus is the most inspiring, the most powerful person in the community at that moment the one that the, the crowds are there because they all want a piece of Jesus too. They all want what Jesus has got too. And to see that she gets chosen, yeah. to see that she gets healed, and not the only one because he's healing all the time, um, restores her to, in the community to a place yeah. of honor, yeah. to a, uh, where people want her story again. Yeah. And um, when you've had a decade of the opposite, yeah. When you've had a decade of isolation and loneliness and, and all of that, it, I think it's just so kind. I think I'm always undone by the kindness yeah. of God in these moments. Yes, the power of God, yeah. but also the kindness yeah. of God yeah. that she has, a, she has a chance at a hope and a future in her community again yeah. because of how he spoke to her in that, in that space. So, I mean, I'm itching to jump to the yeah. third question because I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like there's so much about, you know, themes around rejection and shame mm-hmm. and the kindness of God, that, that, we, that we can just apply to our own lives yeah. and our, our own stories and experiences. But I think it is, of course, it's really important, the second question, because it's about Jesus. So, yeah. you know, let's not jump that one. Um, but again, thinking about the other encounters that we've looked at through the series, mm-hmm. 
What does this tell us about Jesus? What is it that we learn about the way that Jesus interacts with her? The way that Jesus even operates within the crowd um, at this particular moment? What do we learn from uh, this moment about who Jesus is? I'm reminding of a couple of things, like in the arc of Scripture. One is um, Hagar. Hagar in in Genesis is um, an enslaved African woman um, who is swept up into the brokenness of Abraham and Sarah's story and is used. I mean, let's just be clear, she's used. And then is discarded, and, and there's all terrible things that happen. And she's in the wilderness, and God meets her there. And, her, and as God meets her, she says, you are the God who sees me. And the word in the Hebrew for seeing is not just a passively observe, but one who sees with an intention to act and respond. And I think what we see here is a reminder of that kind of, that, that, that facet of God's character, that this is a God who sees her. That, this, that it tells us that Jesus sees women. And, that, and on one level, that sounds cute, and it's like put it on a T-shirt and put it, do you know what I mean, play a song. But again, in the culture of the day, which was so patriarchal, in the culture of a day where, where there were prayers about thanking God you weren't a woman um, and all that kind of stuff, it's huge. It's huge that he sees her, he notices her, and that the intimate vulnerability of her condition even um, is enough for him. In the middle of something else to stop and say, actually, no, this, you are important. Yeah. You, you, and you are, your, your situation, your life, your womanhood, actually, your womanhood is important and is significant. And, I, and to me, it says that, and we, again, we see it in Jesus again and again throughout the way he acts with women, is that he's it's restoring the kind of value they had in the beginning, restoring the worth, yeah. restoring the purpose, restoring the validity. That's who God always said they were. If we want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. He is the representation of the Father. He is the, he is the embodiment of the, the ways of the kingdom of God, the work of the kingdom of God, um, the power of the kingdom of God. Again, the kindness of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, when, and that's what a savior looks like. Yeah. It says that Jesus sees yeah. women. And he sees everything, and he publicly restores what has been taken, and is and is unapologetic, unembarrassed, doesn't and and doesn't need any of the social conventions. It's like I can't be in the room with a woman. None of that rubbish. None of that. He's not wasting time. He's this is this is the king's standard now, um, which, which is such a powerful and wonderful thing. And that's his normal. The irony is, it's abnormal in the culture, but that's because the culture's whack and messed up. It's abnormal in the culture because the culture has issues. Do you know what I mean? It's abnormal in the culture because the culture got it wrong. What Jesus is reestablishing is, this is normal. This, this interaction is normal. This kind of behavior, is this restoration is the norm and how it's supposed to be. Just even on that, um, because even just the idea of, I was reading this thing that, um, that, that God the Father moved and healed her before Jesus even knew. And so actually, it's not, it, it, it was this beautiful idea that it was God's, the Father's heart that, that healed or restored her. And then Jesus caught up with what the Father was doing. And so it's like this, ah, oh, this is the Father's heart to see women, to see them restored. That's amazing. And I guess for me, I, I love the way that again it's the cutting through of the culture taboo every time we we were saying that in every single encounter that we've looked at it's just shrouded in taboo so every time jesus 
encounters a woman, either he's breaking taboo or she's breaking taboo. Like there's, and, and taboo is ultimately shame. It's, it comes from yeah. shame that if you do this, you will bring shame upon yourself. And so he, he just always, he's always doing that, isn't he? Just ignoring, ignoring what matters to the culture in order to reach, uh, to reach the one. And we see it again with, with this woman. And I, I think... I actually can't remember what I was going to say. It was great, though. It I was, I was like waffling like for about 30 up. seconds. You were kind of ramping up. And it's gone. Okay. Yeah, no, it's gone. It's yeah. totally gone. Life, man, it does it. It does that to us. Do you have anything wonderful to say at this right at I'm this second? I'm not sure, actually. I am actually thinking... Are you doing the same now? I am now. I'm now trying to work out what you were thinking. Oh, it's coming back to and, me. Um, and I have nothing. Is it coming back? We're looking to you, AMC. Yeah, Amy, save what us. You got? What save you got? Save us. We People got up in the morning for this. You need to save us. Pick it up from the ground, Amy. Please. We should talk about how what it means for us. Yes. Okay, yes, yes. There we go. It's going to come back to me about like quarter past ten. And then I'll be like, oh, no. And just shout it somewhere into the void. Yeah, anyway. How should we walk out? Like, how should we walk out this morning? If you could give us anything that we can learn from this. Obviously, there's loads already, but... I mean, I think there are so many things. I'll tell you there's one thing that just struck me this morning. Like you said, we're camping out on this story, but it's in the middle of another story. And I sometimes think we don't bring our, je- our desperation to Jesus because we think he's busy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you know, but I'm not suffering as much as the other... Uh, like, we pick on children in Africa, like, that we need that. Like, we say, oh, well, 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 think of what they're going through. And, like, I'm God, I know. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm very aware. Um, thank you, thank you for... for for giving me your list of priorities. Um, or we pick on something else which we deem as more important. Uh, name it in the day. There are people who are suffering more than we are. Yes, there are. Yes. Okay. God knows that. Um, there are people who are struggling. But God, this is not the suffering Olympics. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This, this is not the oppression Olympics for Jesus. Yeah. And, and I'm struck by the fact in this moment that he, he, he's on his way to raise a, a girl from the dead. He's on the way. But he has time for this. He has time for her suffering. He has time for her isolation. He has time for her brokenness. He has time for her humiliation. Yeah. He has time for this. And I think the first thing, before I get into anything else, is God has time for you. Yeah. He has time for your story. He has time for your journey. He has time for your shame. He has time for your suffering. He has time for every single thing you've been through, whether other people seem it as important or whether it's seen as minuscule. He, he does not need you to tell him that other people have more important things to do because he is God. And as such, he has enough room. That whole world in his hand song, which drove me nuts, is actually true. <laughs> I'm like, give us another song. Do you, do you mean the one that my husband wrote? That's a bit awkward. Not that one, but if he did, the, the origi- the if he, did he and I should chat about that too. <laughs> Now I understand oh, why right. he never sang that much in hip hop. Just say how you really feel about that song, Joe. It's, it's yeah, fine. I will actually. I need to talk to him about that. No, I was thinking of the old school one, but He's let's had the go whole back to world, that, that one. one. Yeah. Thanks for now putting that as an earworm. No problem. No problem. I feel that's going to stay with me. But um, so I think that the Lord has time would be the first thing, um, and that there's nothing in your story that is too shameful for the love of God. For, for God. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing in your story. Yes. The violation, the abuse, the chronic conditions. And, I, and, and there is something in the culture. Again, I, I, the other thing is the social taboos. We have our own social taboos. They generally involve us needing to be skinnier. They generally involve us needing to be more attractive, younger, 
etc., etc. We can't talk about blood, we can't talk about sweat, we can't talk about abuse, we can't talk about pay, we can't talk about power, we can't talk about ambition. The list freaking goes on. The social, I don't know who you were supposed to be in your culture, but chances are at the same time we managed to be too much and not enough all at the same time. I mean, it's a yoke. It's a yoke and it oppresses us. And then, and then you, you sprinkle Christianity on it and now you're doing all of that for Jesus. It's a mess. It's a hot mess. And Jesus didn't ask for any of it. He's like, I don't need you to be weird. I don't need you to be weird for me. I didn't ask for weirdness. And yet we're like, Lord, I'm just trying to be really good for you. And he's like, okay, (laughs) let me love you. Oh no, I'm just trying to be really holy for you. Okay. And and I'm, I'm struck by the social taboos. And I want to encourage you to rip past some of these taboos that maybe as a woman, it's too much to use my voice. My God-given, fearfully and wonderfully made, God-created voice um, that I'm too much because I want more for my life. Or, or, and he, he again, he, he, um, we see him, we see him validating, validating that. And I, and I think that is, that's something I find wonderful. Like, you know, like she was a rule breaker, that she broke all of these rules. And, and I wonder whether there are some rules that you might need to break um, as you engage with God. I want, and you might find that those rules were foolish anyway. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, your rules suck. And that's why, <laughs> that's why I'm breaking them. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just thinking one of the things I've, I've been thinking about is we talk about toxic masculinity, but I, I definitely feel like there is a version of tos- toxic oh femininity yes. that, that particularly exists within the church. And we, we narrow down what femininity looks like. And it's so, it's so unhelpful at best. Yeah, that, that that's actually, a really nice way of yeah, saying I'm it's chains. Just, yeah, it's <laughs> chains, exactly. It's a nightmare. And I think if you're a woman who doesn't necessarily fit this really small, narrow expression of what it means to be feminine, it, it can be very disempowering as a yeah. woman who's called to, to be loud or that's called to lead or that's called to have s- strength or to, to exist within, I don't know, the business world or yeah. whatever. It's like we have got to shatter this toxic femininity yeah. that insists on making what it means to be a woman of God so small. And it's so one-dimensional. I'm struck by, as I think of even your series and all the women that Jesus met with, and then we look at the Ark of Scripture and all the women in the Bible, they're all so different. They're single, they're married, they're different ethnicities, they're different shapes and sizes. They are business women, they are married women, they are mothers, they are single women, and the kingdom of God is for them all. There is no one type. There was never a type. And even as we see Jesus meeting and the women who traveled with Jesus, Joanna, Susanna, and Mary, and and Mary and Martha, and the the unnamed women and the Samaritan women, all of these women are women of God. All of them. All of them. But they are different. And as you look at this room, what does it say about us? All of you. Whether you are staying at home and loving it, or CEO and loving it, whether you are single to mingle and loving it, or whether you're married and loving it, or widowed or divorced, or whatever your story is, whether you have lots of children or longing for children, adoptive children, or, or don't want children, but, and loving it, all of these things, you're still, all, there is room in the kingdom of God. It's human insecurity that stops us from welcoming people. It's yeah. human insecurity that puts women in a box, yeah. and men in a box, but it's human insecurity because it's easier and it's lazy. Honestly, it's just la- it's easier yeah. to do one type of thing yeah. and just say you all fit into that. And if you don't, you're not good. You're not good enough, or worse, you're not godly. And it's a lie. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah, agreed. 
It just is. Just, just ignore the little chat Excuse going us, on there. Nat- just having a natter. Yeah, I, I, we were just having a chat before, and I was wondering whether Joe was willing to share what, she, what we were talking about just now. Um, but I really feel like a big part of this is permission. I think so often we're like, I think, you know, so I think this is what God's calling me to. But it's like we, it's like we're looking for permission. Um, and you just felt like God spoke to you about that, didn't you? Yeah, I, um, I was in. One of them, I don't even know what day it is anymore, but I was in a meeting of some kind with people in the room, and um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And there was a, it was a very meaningful meeting. Um, and I had this picture, and it was of women, um, and this was in the context of leadership, but um, it was um, women breaking through a ceiling, but it was a concrete ceiling. And there was this breakthrough, and God, trying, God ripping it open, and these women needing to rise in some way. Um, But the issue was whether women felt they had permission. Permission to be who God wired them to be. Permission to do what God had called them to do. Like whether they would give themselves permission to allow, you know, they had these dreams at every every stage of their life because the great thing is God is also not ageist. Um, So so at every stage of their life and they're like shoving it down kind of thing because, and they needed to hear that they were allowed, that they were allowed to do it and they're allowed to be who God fearfully and wonderfully made them to be. And and almost a sense of, like when I was at secondary school, you had to get a permission slip to go to the loo because otherwise you'd go and do other stuff do you know what I mean it's like I know I'm going to the toilet but there's a there's a sweet shop across the road so um and and it's almost like you we act like we need a permission slip and if you need a permission slip this is your permission slip to play your part in the great commission you know in many ways when God made you and wired you that was your permission slip um when God commissioned us that was your permission slip um when God um when God included us in his story, that was the permission slip. He has already given you permission. You're a, not only, and also, uh, how can I put this really quickly? Um, I would say in that, you're, the way God has wired you is not a concession. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, you're not accidentally made, that way you have with numbers, that way you have with leadership, that way you have with your children, that way you have with the lost, the last, the least, and the lonely. They're not, they're not accidental. They, he designed that. He's not to to blame for that. He made you this. And he didn't just tolerate it. He celebrates it. He's not like, oh my me, how how did she get that way? Do you know what I mean? He's not like, this is an accident. I don't understand. That's a a good joke. Let it ride. Um, (laughs) It's like, how did it get that way? He's like, he fashioned you. And he's like, I'm so excited. I'm so excited she's like this. I put brains. I put um, intellect. I put fierce vision, creativity. She's she, like me. Just, uh, yes, just, totally. yeah, just <laughs> he did all. He did all of these things. I knew what she would love. I knew how she'd come alongside people. And I just want to see her fly. I want to see her fly. And I knew that she'd be these things. One of the things, um, I'll say this real quick and then I'm going to hand back to you. Um, one of the things that really helped me with this, and, and, and the reason why I say this is I believe that Jesus was restoring this every time he met his women. Yeah. When you look at the Bible, the word that often comes up in Genesis 2 is the word helper about what a woman is wired to do. And we're like, yeah, and they're like, oh, not sure what that means. But the word in the Hebrew is Aza, or I don't know how to pronounce ancient Hebrew. That's the best I've got. I'm just going to, I was not there. Um, but the word Aza is a combination of words meaning to, be, to rescue, to save, and be strong. Um, it appears 
three times in that format and multiple times in others. And it's a word um, denoting strength and power. Um, the most time you see it is when God's delivering his people from his enemies. So God is my refuge and strength, never present help in times of trouble. Um, the word help was someone who had the power and the resources to help. Um, as a verb, it means to protect, surround, defend, and cherish. That is a very different picture than what we have put onto that word. But that's how God wired you. That's, strength is somehow in your DNA. There you were thinking strength wasn't feminine. Uh, anyway, periods tell us otherwise. So, uh, as does the menopause. But that's another story. Um, I'll save that for the stage. Um, and, but do you see what I'm saying? But when we see Jesus with these women, he sees that. He sees, when he saw this woman who gets past all these social conventions and all these taboos to, to grab just the hem of his garment, he, that's who he's calling out. That's what, he's, that's what he's celebrating publicly in front of a crowd. Not the powers of the age or the Pharisees. Or the, he's like, look at her. Look at this woman. Look at this kid of mine. Look at her. Yeah, go in peace with all the blessing that shalom is, with restoration and hope and healing and be freed from your suffering because this right here is wonderful. Yeah. This right here is amazing mm -hmm. that this woman got her way through the crowd, got her way, risked so much, yeah. risked so much just to touch him. And so Jesus is going to honor that. And I believe that Jesus is honor, will honor that for each of us as well. Wow. Love that. Um, we, we would just love to create an opportunity to pray. I, I just, it was just something, that, a little thought that came to mind around the permission thing and just sharing vulnerably about my experience with that, which might help others. It's always helpful, isn't it, when, when we connect with our vulnerabilities. And, and I know for me, when God started to um, call me to speak, and the only reason I knew he'd call me to speak is pe people asked me to do it. Like, I didn't yeah. seek it out. I, I didn't sort of write a CV and, you know, send it around to churches. Pe people just started asking me. That, that's how I knew God was calling me to speak. But one of the major stumbling blocks for me was around permission. And, uh, and I would experience, like, so much shame every time I spoke. I'd, I'd feel fired up. I'd feel excited about what God had put in my heart. I'd, I'd speak. And then I'd get off the stage and it would be like this tidal weight of shame would just wash over me. And that, that lasted for years and years and years. And actually, I had some amazing Christian counseling which helped unlock and sort of peel back the layers of that. And what it came down to was I was always looking for the permission or the, the validation from the most important man in the room. Whoever that happened to be and whatever the context that was, subconsciously, I'd be like... Who, who's the man in the room that has the most power and authority? And I need you to say, well done to me. I need you to say, you did a really good job. And sometimes that would happen, but a lot of the time that didn't happen. Either because they didn't think to do it, that's not their problem, or because maybe, maybe they didn't connect with what I communicated and that's their problem. But I, I had to break free of that. I had to get up on the stage speak, preach, teach, and know that it was because God had called me to do it. God had given me permission. And I didn't actually need the permission from the most important man in the room uh, yeah. because he, he instigated for me to be there in the first place. And I think permission is key. And I think there's a few things that God wants to do, but I yeah. wonder if yeah. that's quite a key, yeah. thinking about your picture, that we need to break off this 
inappropriate need yeah. for the permission of whether it's it's men or a particular individual. And I'm not saying that we all sort of rush out rebelliously and ignore the authority restructures with it, with it, within which we exist. But you, you get the heart of it. So shall we pray? Shall we, shall we stand? Yeah. And if you're listening to the podcast, uh, we're going to bid you farewell uh, as we pray for the women in this room. And we will see you next time.